Welcome back to Pastor Plex Podcast. I am so excited to have you joining us uh, this fine morning. Uh, and with me in studio is the one and only Katie Sass. I'm pretty excited about this, Katie. Uh, this is our first live stream event. Did you know that? Okay, wait. How does that differ from what we've been doing? Well, we record it and then we post it. So, so pretty much everything we say, they're hearing it real time. So people can see us? Yeah, they, right? I, I like, think they can see us. Can this you, is live? Can they see us? I feel like I need to have better posture. Okay, now, yeah, you better have good posture. And there's cameras right over there. Okay, you're also, you need to switch chairs. Why do I need to switch because chairs? Because you're very movie when you talk. But I'm talking over and here. No, but I, no, like this chair, it makes noises when you, okay. The, can we, can we not? Oh my can God. we get a different chair? Okay. Sometimes, oh, there we go. That's a much better one. I don't know why it wasn't doing this before. I guess well, you just got excited. Yeah. <laughs> I do get excited. All right, so <laughs> welcome back. You know, Pastor Plex podcast, we talk faith, culture, and everything in between. And we're going to go off of some of the questions that we got from the sermon uh, on Sunday, which was at this point yesterday. Mm -hmm. And to recap and review what we talked about, uh, we went through First Thessalonians chapter 1. And if you're not familiar with what First Thessalonians chapter 1 was, it's Paul writing a letter to his probably his favorite church. I don't know if, if, if Paul was allowed to have a favorite church, but I think this was his favorite church. But how do you know it was his favorite? Because he like just gushes. Like, have you ever gushed over somebody? Paul gushing is not really like, how does that even work? He's Paul like, didn't seem I, like a very gushy kind of guy. Oh, he totally was a gushy guy. He was very gushy. He's just like, I love, I, I think about you in my prayers. I'm just, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm praying for you all the time. I'm, you know, everyone talks about how great you are. And so there's no need for me to tell you how great you are. Cause you already know how great you are. Cause everyone's told you, told me how great you are. And that, that's pretty much chapter one. Okay. But within chapter one, he brings up some really cool points. One is that. Uh, that they heard the gospel in word, which the gospel is words. Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures, rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And, but it's power. And the reason why it's a power is because the message has a person on the other side of it. And then mm -hmm. uh, we talked about th that, that it, the words of the page of the Bible should read you as well as you read it. And then uh, we talked about how there's change that should happen. You turn from idols to worship the one living and true God. And for all of us, we have different idols that we're really wrestling with. Uh, and I think that that's always something. like. And basically, I, we've, I've talked about this. The idols come down to really four things, comfort, control, power, and um, approval. And so if you, whatever one of those four is for you is usually where you, is your go-to whenever there's stress you go to like, I want power. I go to, I want comfort and, and I'm going to go eat my comfort foods. I want control. I'll start telling people what to do so that I can feel like everything is in control or I'm just going to perform my best. So everyone gives me clapping. So we all have an, and there's, there's there actually, there's need for that. We all, we all have need to comfort each other. We all have need to control things that we can control. There's a sense of approval that um, everybody has a longing for. And even power in the right way and form is, is God has given authority to people to have power over others, but not to lord it over them as the Gentiles do. And so I think that there's what happens for Christians is that we need to change from relying upon a 
um, a comfort, a control, a power, or approval, and we rely on Jesus. And that, that that's a constant turning from idols uh, to Jesus. And then finally, uh, every chapter of 1 Thessalonians sort of ends with Jesus is our hope. And I, and I thought that that was sort of a fun thought or experience was that, oh, look, chapter one, Jesus is coming back. Chapter two, Jesus is coming back. Chapter three, Jesus is coming back. Chapter four, Jesus is coming back. And chapter five, guess what? Jesus is coming back. I wonder what the main theme is there. <laughs> Jesus is coming. And just fun fact, uh, he- Are there really bumper stickers that say look busy? Yeah, I just saw one uh, this <laughs> week. <laughs> Jesus is coming, look busy. I always think that's funny, but weird that people, like that. that's a bumper sticker. Yeah. It but, sounds kind of belittling too. It, it is, yeah. but uh, it is funny that people actually made that into a bumper sticker. Yeah. So, mm. all right. So the question that we got from uh, yesterday, uh, well, several, we had several questions. Uh, one was, you'd mentioned your sermon about being stuck in the dating mindset. So this is kind of like turning from idols. So you, you don't live with your spouse um, as the way you did when you weren't married. So when you weren't married, you'd have a lot more freedom to do whatever. A you lot wanted. more freedom. Thank yeah. you. And uh, so, is it truly a sin to feel think my spouse should look the way they did when dating? Is it giving into the culture of this world to think my spouse should look better than they do? I don't think it's sinful, but I feel like it's kind of a a hole of despair to. <laughs> To like, <laughs> what do you mean? Hole of despair. Give it to me. Well, because if you have this expectation that your spouse is going to look just as hot as they did when you got married, then you're going to be disappointed. Because I mean, well, it Ryan depends. Does look as hot as the day he honestly? Yeah, that's true. I kind of looked out, but he's he's eventually he's going to get old and wrinkly, and you know his gray hair is going to get even more gray, and he might just go fully white. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's tan, so... That works for him. It, it won't look bad. But, like, I... <laughs> appearance, like, that's why you should fall in love with their soul. Like, you fall in love with their heart and their intentions and their character because appearance is not going to Well, last. let's just see what the so Bible says. Charm is fleeting and beauty is deceptible, but a woman who fears the Lord is great. Right, praise. yeah. I mean, there have been seasons where I have not been... As I mean, on my wedding day, obviously you can't really beat your wedding day, but why is that? Well, because oh, well, one, I mean, I like starved myself for like a right. week so that I would fit into my wedding dress. Absolutely. So, and so essentially, what you're saying is that you have to starve yourself to look the way. No, I mean honestly, like because I, well, I don't know one woman who didn't starve themselves to make sure they fit into their wedding dress. Yeah. Well, and I think this is like a question I need to process a little more. Okay, but initially, I don't think it's sinful to think that, but there's a little more to it. Well, I feel like um, one of the things I've talked maybe about— Maybe the word expect. Expect, Is right. sinful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think if you put an expectation— So, all right. Expectation is always a—is is sort of a tough thing. There's oh, nowhere yeah. in the Bible that says, hey, your spouse needs to look a certain way. Right. Um, but it does say charm is fleeting, beauty is deceptive— or charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. But yeah. a woman who fears the Lord is greatly to be praised. Right. And so, and what, and that's talking about when you look for someone to marry, look for someone not necessarily for their beauty, but for their character. Now, here's what I have learned about character. Um, that when someone has a beautiful character, it like supersedes 
Um, it makes them so attractive. Yes. 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 And, and that, yes. That, yeah. Thank you. It, it makes them really attractive because you're like, I love being around mm-hmm. you when you're, um, when you are the way you are. It's kind of like when you're not initially attracted to someone and then you get to know their personality and yeah. their personality just makes them way more attractive. Right. For me, Adrian, and I know Adrian's beautiful, of course, but I think what really attracts me to Adrian is how funny she is. Like, um, she is really funny, yeah. like, like really funny. Uh, now sometimes that bites me because sometimes her wit is used against me and I'm not as quick as she is, but <laughs> it's really funny and I really do enjoy her. Um, but yeah, I think even bringing up what my spouse looks like, uh, is sort of a weird thing. Although, and here's why, remember, we've talked about this over and over and this is not on this sermon, but on previous sermons, we've talked about how um, a like God has programmed our brains or has made our brains programmable to um, whenever there is like an orgasm or whenever mm-hmm. there is a sexual release that chemicals go off in your brain. You have a dopamine release, you have oxytocin release, and that kind of bonds you to that person in the latest version of your spouse. So mm-hmm. that's why, you know, 60-year-olds should be having the best sex, so to speak, because it should be reflection of how the way God has made their brain. If they're having sex with each other over time, it should Mm -hmm. get better and better over time, and you program your brain to that person. Yeah, and I think when you experiment with that concept, it works. It's solid. You know, when you're having more sex with your spouse, you're more infatuated with each other. Good. I I think that is – you nailed it. I I think that's really good. Okay, another question from – Yesterday, and I thought this was interesting. I'm not sure if it it was at, it was it came in during the sermon, but um, so anyway, it's it's a it's a not an odd question, just a unique question. How should we relate to God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And in verses two and three, verse two mentions, uh, sorry, verse two and uh, five. So God the Father and God the Son come in verse two, and in verse five, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, is it supposed to be different? How should we relate to God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Is it supposed to be different? Personally, I have a war- I have warmer feelings when I think about Jesus and more fearful feelings when I think about God. Is that okay? Hmm. Give me your thought on that. I- I'd love to hear your perspective on just maybe different feelings toward each. Each of the Trinity? Yeah. Um. Well, so... The Holy Spirit is my helper. Mm-hmm. Um, the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit reveals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's kind of where I'm. I'm going to stop because I. I don't. Yeah. This. It's. This is. It's such a anytime you question. speak Trinitarian language, you're gonna be operating something super yeah. challenging. Here, here's what like, I mean by God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. Does that make sense? It, it, no, that, that, it, you're right. You're right. Okay. But here's the part that gets it really challenging. You cannot take Jesus and be like, here's Jesus, and there is no Father, and there is no uh, Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. So because with because Jesus is three and one, one and three, that means the Father and the, and the Spirit are in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father and in the, the Holy Spirit. Does yeah. that make sense? So yes. You can't—so you can't, you, you, I understand that we, we have a— finite brain and so therefore we're going to think in probably compartmentalization of father son holy spirit so i i don't you think- won't experience one 
fully without the others. Right. You, you can't. So I think that maybe the better way to put it is they give a fuller picture to who the Trinity is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I do think it's important to reflect on that, that you cannot have God. You don't think about God the Father without thinking God the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So um, Maybe the egg analogy? Oh, the egg analogy is, is remember, all analogies break down. That's why I love that St. Patrick's analogy that um, Lutheran sat- satire put out where it just mocks uh, the different analogies. Because you, you, you all- I an, like the egg analogy. The though. problem with the egg analogy is it breaks down. It it's actually goes to um, modalism. So the egg- What even, sh- what? Did you just make that word up? <laughs> <laughs> no, modalism is like God has three modes. It's like, you know, it's like you have a, um, okay, let's say- you I mean, a, it's not a wrong way of looking at it. Yeah, it is. You're, okay. you're, it's, it's heresy. <laughs> okay. But whatever, you know. Like, I mean, hey, tell me what. Yeah. Tell me what so the here's thing the heresy. Is. It's like, so when Jesus, so what modalists believe is that uh, there's God, the Father, there's God, there's one God, and then he manifests himself in three ways God the Father, and then he pushed the switch. Now he's God the Son, he's Jesus. And then flip the switch, now oh. it's God the Holy Spirit. And so you don't have Jesus. When you have Jesus, you've now eliminated the Father and the Spirit. Okay, so okay. that's modalism. Yes, okay. And now so I get that. with the egg analogy, it's the shell, it's the the white, it's the yolk. Yes. And the problem with that is that's either you're saying that's polytheism, or uh, which would be three different gods, because okay. or you're, it's now the egg is the shell. Now the egg is the. I just think of it as it's one. All in one, there are three parts in one whole. That's partialism. Thing is that? Oh my gosh! <laughs> All the freaking words, like <laughs> partialism is, is is also what. So how do you explain the Trinity? You to don't. Somebody? That's the thing. It's, it's <laughs> that's the thing. There is no analogy because it's so unique. You cannot explain uh, the Trinity other than with the the words of the Athanasian Creed. Like, I know that there are things that are spiritual that you just cannot interpret worldly, but. How do you even teach the... I mean, I know there are plenty of books on the Trinity. So here's what's really cool about this. An analogy is helpful to tell you what God is not. So it's... So you know how like... um, I could tell you where to go by telling you where not to go. So if I said, hey, don't go south, don't go east, don't go west. And then you're like, so go north. No, not necessarily north. Just don't go those directions. That's really terrible and direction. Then, and then, on. okay, because I can't say north because it's impossible to explain. So I'm going to say it's in between 360, or it's one degree and 359 degrees. Yeah. Like, that It's kind of gets you. Well, so the moral of this is we'll never fully understand the Trinity, which I, I've i always known that. Yeah. I mean, I've never been able, like, I mean, I guess the freaking egg na- analogy is out the window now. Um so but, here, here it is. This is the this is the Athanasian Creed translated from the Latin to the English, which is always fun. Uh, all right, so that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in Unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, all is all one. The glory equal, the Majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father unlimited, the Son unlimited, the Holy Ghost unlimited, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also, there are not three uncreated, not nor three infinites, but one uncreated, one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, and the Holy Ghost almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And yet they are not three gods, but one God. 
So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son, Lord, the Holy Ghost, Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son of the Father alone Son is of the Father alone, not made, nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and the Son, not neither made, not created, nor begotten. That was not helpful at all. I, I, I know, because it get, you have to break that down, and that's why when you break that down, anytime you come to your egg analogy, when you compare it to the Athanasian Creed, you're going to go, nah, that doesn't work, that's partialism. Or nope, that doesn't work, that's modalism. Usually everything mm-hmm. is partialism or modalism. Partialism is, like, uh, is the uh, shamrock. There's three clovers on the shamrock mm-hmm. and each is a third god or each is a third shamrock mm-hmm. and so because the god the father god the son holy, holy okay. spirit okay anyway i think this you always break it down you get lost here because every whether it's a hamburger whether it's an egg whether it's water ice uh air vapor it all wow. breaks down it tells you what god is not but gets you maybe closer to what god is okay yeah like, well, our minds are finite, so mm-hmm. we can't possibly comprehend the full, right. the full. Well, there's of the nothing Trinity. to compare it to because there's nothing that's three and one and one. And right. Three. There's nothing in the world like it. Right. Yeah, that oh. makes sense. Yeah. Right. So well, the question was, how do we relate to it? So yeah. So is it okay to be feel feel fearful about God the Father and like, yay, Jesus, you came for me, and the Holy Spirit is. Does that make sense? Like an honorable fear or like a scared fear? <sighs> yes. Like respect fear or? I feel like the, when he says fearful, it's it's fearful in contrast to warmer. So I think the fearful would be like colder, maybe respect or I am terrified of you. Um, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to respect someone, I'm going to love them. Okay. And I do think we have... Um, like if I'm if I don't if I don't like you, I probably won't respect you. <laughs> no, there's people you respect that you don't like. No. People respect the president all the time, not because they necessarily like him, but they like the president comes to town. Now, granted, there's probably some people who would like spit in his face or whatever, but like I, I think for the most part, people I mean, I would go through the, the motions. Yeah, I would right. go through the motions you of the office, you know, he you is the president, whether I like him or not. I have to. I'm not going to like be rude or degrading or anything, but that's not, it's not a genuine respect. It's a, well, I kind of have to, I just have to do this. But I think that's respect because you're respecting the power the authority that he has. Okay. Okay. But I'm not respecting him as a person. Right. Okay. So, so let's get to the question then. So the, Personally, I have warmer feelings when I think about Jesus and more fearful feelings when I think about God. I, I, I don't want to say it's not okay, but I, again, this goes into God the Father sent Jesus. Well, but we have to kind of go into, okay, why do you view God this way? Is it a parenting thing? Is mm. it a, an authority? Mm. The, where's the root in this? Okay, yeah. Yeah, because to me, I, I would go, yeah, that, that would be a little odd because— the warmness that you're feeling is that Jesus saved you from the wrath of God to which God has been. But ultimately, Jesus is the one that's you know, also involved in the wrath. So it's not like mm-hmm. he's not – like cause Jesus, when you read Revelation, is not exactly a warm, fuzzy Jesus. He's like right. coming with a sword in his mouth and, like, yeah. bloop, bloop, and chopping people up. Yeah, and that's righteous. He's yeah. allowed mm-hmm. to – 
be that. And I, so I think when, when you think of Jesus in terms of warmer, like, do you think of Jesus warm and, you know, when he's in the temple whipping people? Uh, you know, I don't think that's very warm. So I think what happens... Did he whip people? Yeah! I thought he a, just threw tables. It made, a str- it made a whip of three cords and started whipping foos. Uh-oh. Oh my gosh, please never say that. Again. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what? I didn't know he like whipped people. Yeah, what do you do with a whip? I just imagined him... Jesus weaved like, a cord into a whip. And but then people say he doesn't attack anyone with it. However, he drives out the animals. I don't know. I, I Oh man. I don't know. This is why if you make a whip out of cords, he drove all all. He drove all from the temple courts. Just to look intimidating. Cattle, right? He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he didn't it's very threatening. If you're whipping I just animals. You can't see Jesus hit I mean, whipping animals is one thing, but whipping people is different. I'm just saying he's also gonna be like, you know, sending people to a fiery pit. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> I mean that's the least of your worries, Jesus. Yeah, I, if it's if it's go to hell or get whipped, I'll get whipped any day. Right. So. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, he's he's he poured out let's say, I mean, he if he's flipping tables, right? Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, nobody tried to stop He's him. He's pissed off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. His zeal for his father's house consumed him. Hmm. All right. So, yeah. All right. So I don't think of that Jesus is very warm. And I think that's what happens is we kind of get the feeling of Jesus um, meek and mild and not Jesus, the warrior. Not And, and remember, I think that, that to encapsulate who Jesus is, what about Jesus Pre-incarnate Jesus, this is where, you know, was it Jesus? Um, there was another in the fire standing next to me. Yeah, I love that song. So, like, you know, in Daniel 3, there's Jesus in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or in Joshua, whatever chapter it is, where he is um, the commander of the Lord's army. And so he's got a sword in his hand, and he's ready to go, and he's, and he's like, and he and, and he Wait, Jesus has a sword in his hand? Yeah. It's like I've just I just don't read my Bible, I guess. I'm like, I'm like, hold on. What do you not all right? How do you not know that? Like what part are we not talking about here? Command of the Lord's army when in all right, so when Jesus had a sword? Yeah. Joshua five? Wait. So, Jesus wasn't in Joshua? Yeah. He's the okay, so this is where he receives worship. He is a so no. we're talking about Old Testament Jesus? Old Testament Jesus. So who was the... the but he wasn't... Jesus wasn't okay, a was person in the, fi- in the who, Old... There was another in the fire. Daniel I don't 3. Know, the... Who was it? God? Okay. Jesus is in the New Testament. Why do I, I feel? The... Why do I feel so okay. stupid right no, now? No, no, you're because, not stupid. You're because not stupid. when not stupid. when does when does Jesus show up in the Old Testament? Well, he's, he's, okay, we call it a theophany or Christophany. Theophany so means an appearance. It's not, of, it's not Jesus in. I'm picturing Jesus on a, in his robe, <laughs> um, like on a horse with a sword in his hand, with okay. his hair just blowing in the wind. Okay, but that doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so okay, let me. Can I read Joshua five for you? This this might be helpful. Uh, I, I know this is like one of those things where you're like, well, I'm just. I've never heard anyone talk about that. I mean, well, I've also never really studied Joshua before. So. You have studied Joshua before. I, I'm almost for I mean, sure. Maybe if you like talk about it on Sundays, but like <laughs> my personal, my personal quiet time, I, I, All right. I think maybe Joshua, I, 
was about to get to Joshua when I was doing the whole like read the Bible in a year plan. And the old, I just. All right. So when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him holding a drawn sword. Joshua approached him and asked him, are you on our side or allied with our enemies? He answered, truly I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now I have arrived. Joshua bowed down uh, with his face to the ground and asked, what does my master want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army answered Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet because the place where you stand is holy. Joshua did so. And that was Jesus. So, all right. So this is where it gets challenging. It's a, some scholars call that a Christophany where it's, it's pre-incarnate Christ coming or because he's, he's standing on holy ground. He's bowing before him in worship. You don't do that to angels. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you, and he's receiving worship. He's telling him. So remember when the, uh, the burning bush, Mm -hmm. uh, the, and Moses take off your sandals to the place where you're standing is holy ground. Mm -hmm. So that was a theophany that God was present. And so therefore he had to take off his sandals. He was on holy ground. Same thing with the Christophany, which is a man who is now someone that you would bow down and worship. And he's also the commander of the Lord's army, which who is that? With a sword. Right. Jesus with a sword. Mm -hmm. Now the sword wasn't necessarily in his mouth because probably that would have been too bonkers to think about, but he had a sword. Okay. Like I'm like, I'm like here, but like, I'm not like mentally. Right. I guess the whole point of this is, is that, does that make you think warm feelings about Jesus when you see him in holding a sword? Um, if he's coming to rescue me, then yeah. Okay. All right. All right. But what's cool here is what he says to Joshua. It's not, I'm not on your side. It's you better get on my side. And I think what the problem is with a lot of our culture is we want God to get on our side as opposed to just join whatever God's side is. That was the whole point of that thing that whenever he was led in the battle, it was, he was following the Lord, uh, in his conquest. Hmm. Yeah. So back to the original question, <laughs> is it okay to have warmer feelings about the father and, or sorry, warmer feelings about Jesus and like more fearful questions about, uh, the, the, the father. I, I think then ultimately that goes into, I don't think it gives you a complete picture of the father or the son or the Holy right. spirit. Because the Holy Spirit also kills Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. The Holy Spirit is some power. The Holy Spirit does a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the three and one, one and three thing is super important to know for you. Well, and I also think digging into the root issue of why why are those your feelings of God? Okay, that's fair. I, I just do feel like... Uh, do you even care about psychology? No, like, I do I just care. Feel it's like- just, I, no. <laughs> I do care about psychology, uh, I, but what, I, what I'm trying to help There's everyone, a root issue to everything, Chris. There is a root issue, but sometimes it's not based on anything you're feeling, but on the facts of who God is, and you can't look at the God of the Bible without looking at all three in one, in one, in three, and so mm-hmm. you might have feelings that are uh, disconnected from truth because they're feelings based on like, Maybe you can ask God to help you to dig deeper yeah, okay. into where this is coming from. Sure. Yeah. And no, I, I, I'm good with that. I'm good with all that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, all right. Next question. Uh, here we go. Do you think that God takes care of the unbeliever solely for the sake of the believer that may be affected? What? Do you think that God takes care of the unbeliever solely for the sake of the believer that may be affected. 
affected. Like, okay, think family member who doesn't believe and family member who does. So here, the the one scripture that comes to mind is, uh, I mean, I think it's First Peter. 3. What does affected mean? Like, are they sick? Uh, okay. What does that even? Well, okay. oh wait, that's infected. <laughs> Whoops, wrong word. (laughs) No, no, but no, okay. Well, to be fair, to be fair, it it could be sick. If someone's affected by sickness, then they are affected. They don't necessarily just have to be infected. Or like affected by the Holy Spirit. Like what is, like, I don't, I think I'm just trying to figure out what they mean by affected. Like the the believer that's praying for them. Like if you have a a believer that is praying for your, yeah, so I'm get, here's where I feel like this person is going. I don't know if this is how they're they're going, so it's a little bit of a challenge. First uh, Peter three. In the same way, wives be subject to your own husbands. Then, even if some are disobedient to the word, they will be won over. Okay, and maybe that makes sense. But uh, then be that does wo- make sense. Yeah. Okay, but that. Uh, but hold on. But that does that. That means they'll become Christian. Let's go to. First Corinthians chapter seven. I think that might be more specific to what this person is talking about. Um, uh, okay, to the married, I give this charge. Okay, no, okay, to the rest. Okay, to the to the okay to the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, not the Lord. I, not the Lord. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, he consents to live with her. She should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise. This is where it gets really weird. The children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. To which this is like a. Conf- if they get a divorce, they're not holy. Is that what that says? Uh, it, this is where it. This is where it gets so confusing, and you have to really. So, it's not that like. All right. So in this, it's. <laughs> It is so complicated. There's not just a simple answer here. But what it, what it's saying is like there is a, a holiness, a a wholeness uh, for a family that is one. And mm-hmm. um, when you're you're you divorce your spouse, especially in that time, it kind of made up for breaking up the family, which was not great. Right. So the Corinthians may have asked Paul if a believing partner should divorce an unbelieving mate rather than living mismatched with him or her, and that's a problem he addressed. Uh, so even though the unbeliever might affect his or her mate negatively, morally, ethically, it was still better to keep the marriage together. This was so because the believing mate would affect the unbeliever positively. So even if you're a non-believer, you still sanctify your spouse to be set apart for a special mm-hmm. purpose. So right. we all know this from being married. At least you and I know it from being married that our spouse sanctifies us. Right. Like, not anything like super spiritual, but you become more like Jesus over time because you have to deal with your You're spouse. forced to right. because that's how you have harmony in your marriage. Right. And so God has set aside the for the unsaved spouse of a believer a special blessing, some of which comes through his or her mate. They're going to grow and understand Jesus more. Maybe they'll get saved, but even if they don't on this life, now obviously in eternity that doesn't work out, um, the, the God will deal with such a person differently than he deals with most not married to Christian people. So that's the special blessing. That so you they've get. got a leg up. Yes. Oh, 
that's kind of what that's what that verse is leading to that's how you're interpreting yes that there is a blessing that comes with being so if you're a non-christian you need to be married to a christian now i wouldn't ever do the wedding but that would be your goal but probably be a better goal is just become a christian but like if you're if you get married and you're not believers and then one of them becomes a believer then stay married yes and there's a special blessing for you in that because that is a great love that you can show to your spouse that's not a believer Right, and there's just blessing that comes for Christians. And yeah. so you're going to reap some of that blessing even if you're not a believer just because you're united to one. Hmm. Oh. So to the answer to this question, do you think that God takes care of the unbeliever solely for the sake of the believer that may be affected? That's Yes, 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 I can see that. Okay. Now, Hopefully, what this person isn't saying. I'm still trying to figure out what. Yeah, I hope they're like, "Hey, I want to marry this unbeliever, and I think um, that person will be blessed by it." Mm, I don't know that you'd want to put yourself in that situation. Why would you want to do that? As a believer, you want to marry another believer, right? Okay, that was kind of fun. Okay, Um, I think that's about it for this. This, I think we've really hammered some of these. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I do. We do have a next podcast. I'm really excited about getting into. I don't know. Now that I've told you about it, I don't know how excited I am. All right. Well, let's wrap it up for this time. Hey, if you have any questions, you can join us. Uh, send your, your text or questions at 737-231-0605 or go to pastorplek.com and we would love to tackle uh, all of your questions. And uh, they may result in a way longer conversation uh, than you may have expected. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if you're wondering where I'm getting some of these uh, resources to kind of look up answers, uh, I use a couple of things. I do netbible.org is one of my favorites. Gotquestions.org is another one. And Can you just say org? Dot yeah, org? Dot org. Okay, I can. Sounds like you're saying orgy or something. But, <laughs> you know, to the pure, all things are pure. Well, <laughs> sorry about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go to gotquestions.org or go to netbible.org. Or uh, you can just check back in here for other questions that we're tackling. So please keep them coming. Uh, super excited uh, to answer that. In fact, I got the Athanasian Creed right off Wikipedia. So there you go. Uh, hey, thanks for joining us. Would love uh, to uh, really engage you as we, as we knock more of these questions out and go and have an awesome week of worship. Not sure if we're off the air anymore. But... <laughs> <'Cause> this is... <laughs>